Welcome to the Preacher Chick Podcast. I'm the Preacher Chick, Pastor Stacy. You can call me Stacy. And today's podcast episode is a little bit different. I am sharing a sermon that I preached from last year at the beginning of the season of Lent. Now, in most evangelical churches and um, lives of believers, the Lent season hasn't been something that we necessarily participated in in a intentional way anyway. But over the last few years, I've done a little bit of research and understanding exactly what this season is all about, and I shared it in a sermon last year. I decided I thought I would pull it out and share it here as we enter into that that season once again, a time that we set aside to remember, reflect, repent, and celebrate Jesus. I hope you enjoy. about the season of Lent because my own heart has been so drawn towards what this season of the church calendar looks like. And I don't want to get caught up in the legalistic side of it, of traditions or particular methods of celebrating the season. I, but I do want to open my heart to the ways that we can remember God. You know, I think just as a lot, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, like when it comes to Valentine's Day or Mother's Day and Father's Day, even Memorial Day, things like that, that they're Hallmark holidays. And you know, maybe they are, but the whole reason that they exist is to remind us to take time to remember. And that's what this season is about. And so as I sat preparing this message, I did the equivalent of tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're trying to, to, to just catch a little bit of sleep, but your mind won't stop. And I couldn't focus on what I felt was the right thing to focus on in this message. It kind of felt like my brain was the hamster on the wheel that couldn't get off. Anybody else ever feel like that? Or is it just me? And I'm really sorry. I have a cough drop. I've been sick this week. And so my throat's really, really dry this morning. So uh, forgive me if you hear it clacking around in my mouth. The whole thing was I wanted to get myself to a place to just sit quietly for even a second and ask, Lord, what is it that I need to convey? What is it you want to speak to us to help us meet you in this season? And all I could think about was just this to remember God, remembering our need for him, remembering the ways that he has met our needs. And so what does like Lent have to do with this in particular? Well, like I already said, Lent is all about remembering the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness, the sacrifice, the brokenness of our Savior. And so this week, we're going to look at a psalm that David wrote at a time in his life where he was remembering these things for himself. And as you may recall, in 2 Samuel, David made a terrible mistake. I mean, he made several, <laughs> but one in particular. He made this mistake. He committed adultery, he lied, and he murdered to try to cover it all up. And several had come to him and tried to call him out and it didn't work until his friend, Nathan, who was a prophet, came to him. And Nathan tells him this story about a man who had done horrible things and then says, what should we do? And David's response was basically, kill him. 
he's wrong. And Nathan says, that man is you. And David becomes broken in his sin. And Psalm 51 is his response. And, and it is an example for us today of what true repentance looks like. So in Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1, David writes, and actually if you read in the scripture, it says that this is to be played with like tam, like it's a song. There, it, he gives instruments to play it to. It's more than just a writing. It's more than just a prayer or a poem. It is from a heart bent towards, towards a God. David says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Well, that nothing else, no other reason, just God have mercy on me because it's who you are. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify, my, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Psalm 51, according to Charles Spurgeon, has two simple divisions. The penitent's confessions and plea for pardon. And then in the last seven verses, his anticipatory gratitude and the way in which he resolves to display it. In other words, he brings his heart, his sin, his brokenness, and he lays it at the foot of the Lord. But he does that knowing that God is merciful and will forgive him and that he will one day rejoice again. And I think that is a beautiful display for us to enter this season. I mean, this is the season that we take a moment to just remember the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted and tested, what he must have gone through physically and emotionally and mentally knowing what the next few weeks held for him. 
And we can approach that throne the same way David, we should approach the throne the same way David did. Through David's poem, we see first that repentance is a deliberate act. It's the poetry of a man who is keenly aware of his failings and need for God's intervention. It, he can't do it on his own. He can't make it right by himself. He's already tried that, <laughs> and he made it worse. God is the only one. It's a psalm that models to the modern believer how repentance sounds. David asks for mercy and forgiveness, not based on his own ability to make it up to God, because we could never come close to making up to God the mistakes that we've made. But instead, he comes rooted in the character of God. David knew that God has an unquenchable love for humanity um, and compassion that cannot be equaled. I shared this on Wednesday that uh, a young lady that I've known since she was like three or four years old is at school at North Central, and she's going to school for worship ministry, and this is her freshman year, and watching God do stuff in her life has just been amazing, the opportunities and the things that, that God has allowed her to do. And she texted me a couple of weeks ago and said, I have to tell you, I mean, she texted me at like midnight. I'm so excited, I couldn't wait to tell you, I was asked to speak at chapel. And I was like, well, girl, then you preach. <laughs> and so she sent me the link, and I watched her message. And first of all, it's the first time she's preached, and she took the platform like she owned it, <laughs> full of confidence and boldness. Now, it was new. She, you know, there were things that she's going to have to develop and work on, but I'm going to tell you what. I sat in tears, not just because I was so proud of her, but because of the message that she delivered. And one of the things that she talked about was how, you know, God created through the word of his mouth. He spoke the stars into existence. He spoke and land was formed. He spoke and animals roamed the earth. But when it came to humanity, we are the only ones that he, it, scripture says, he stepped down from his throne and he got in the dirt. He got his hands dirty to make us because it's intimate and he wants that relationship with us. And he loves us and David knew that love. And so the truth of that is why David approached God like he did. Forgive me, you are just, I know what you say is good and re I will rejoice. Open my mouth and I will tell others what you have done in me. He knows that he has sinned not only against his neighbor, not only against another man, but he sinned against God himself. And so he confesses those sins in verses 4 and 5. And then he asks God in verses 6 through 10 to remove the sin and to cleanse him. And then in 11 through 12, he asks that God will restore in him joy, assurance of his salvation. And I love this, and the tenderness towards the Holy Spirit. Because unlike, unlike believers today where we can, we can have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living within us and pouring out from us, the Holy Spirit just came upon people then. And David is crying out, I want to know. 
I want to be tender towards that. I want to walk in that. And David knew that the only way he would be able to carry on in any manner was only if God was with him, that God was in him, and that God was on him. His desires to remain humble and in obedience and to testify of God's salvation and forgiveness moving forward. But repentance, as David shows us, is a deliberate act, meaning it is a choice that you have to make, that I have to make. I have to decide in my head and my heart that I am going to approach the throne of God flat on my face if I need to and tell God I need him. It's intentional to seek forgiveness, to turn away from sin because repentance is the forgiveness, it's, it's the confession, but it also is the, I don't want to do that anymore, and I'm going to make a different way. But not just that, to also live in the empowerment that God brings over sin through the Holy Spirit. Repentance helps us counter our tendency toward unchecked sin and self-righteousness, and we spent a lot of weeks at the beginning of the year talking about that. It should be a common practice of the Christian, not just at Lent, but every day that we do this. But especially at this time that we take the time to remember that we can and that we should. David's poem also reminds us that repentance doesn't negate earthly consequences. If you look at 2 Samuel, after Nathan confronts David, here's what happens. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. And you <laughs> let that sit a minute. <laughs> but he says, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He wouldn't eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, well, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him now that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, and after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went on his own way, or on his, way, on his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, because I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him but he will not return to me. David's sin 
had physical, devastating consequences that godly repentance doesn't dissolve. But repentance does free us from the spiritual consequences of our sin. We may face a punishment here on earth because there are, our actions have consequences. But praise God, eternity doesn't necessarily stay that way. Because in repentance, we're set on the right path with our Father, and we have eternity with him. And that's, that's the main thing, right? We're brought into right relationship with him again. And it can seem that taking a solemn look at our sin is kind of a defeatist thing to do, but it's necessary. Pastor Chuck Colson writes this, For such introspection to remain healthy, we must hold together two realities that converge at the cross. If we div- um, that is our corruption and God's grace. If we divorce the two, meaning if we make it about one or about the other, then our hearts will either swell with pride and self-righteousness, oh, look at me, I'm okay now, losing touch with our sinfulness, or sink into an anxious despair and uncertainty, failing to grapple with mercy. I love the song from Hillsong that talks about the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. It's, it's so crazy that, that I'm the one who is a mess. I'm the one who has messed up. I'm the one who is broken but I don't have to pay the penalty. Jesus did it for me. The scandal of grace that you died in my place so that I might live. Confident of God's grace in Jesus Christ, we are free to probe the inner recesses of our hearts, unearthing sin's pollution. Now, does that sound like fun? Not so much, (laughs) but it's necessary God's grace liberates us to explore our soul facing its filth rather than suppressing or succumbing to its contents. Praise God. Repentance can, cannot be only words, though. David's poem reminds us that repentance is more than just words, that it's more than just a prayer. It also must include action and change rooted in God's goodness and empowerment. Often believers are encouraged to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting um, for 40 days during Lent. While fasting without a larger purpose can be hollow religiosity, though I, I remember I had a friend a few years ago who was very devout Catholic, and she said one year, she told me, she's like, you know, I'm so tired of giving up chocolate. I'm so tired of giving up meat. I'm going to give up something that will actually make my life better. I'm going to give up yelling at my kids for 40 days. <laughs> but, I mean, let's, let's be practical in this. You know, fasting isn't about getting your diet back together or losing some weight. Fasting isn't about cutting out things that just aren't good for you. Fasting is about setting something aside that you enjoy and filling that space with time spent with Jesus. We can't make it just a rote tradition thing that is done. Fasting should be something that is just an active thing in a believer's life. And if you choose to make Lent one of those seasons that you fast, 
Praise God, but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. David set that example for us. He didn't fast once the child had gone because what was that going to do? You know, fasting Fasting is more than that, and we all have sinful appetites that must be denied. Admitting that is the starting point for fasting, because denial isn't the ultimate goal of fasting. Denying yourself isn't the ultimate goal, but instead denial opens us up for renewal through Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer some versions say the author and the perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god the cross itself wasn't the joy Otherwise, he wouldn't have been in the garden at Gethsemane praying, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. If the cross was the joy, that prayer wouldn't have been said. No, the joy that was set before Jesus was knowing that one day in eternity, he would be reunited with his brothers and sisters and through him, the children of God. The joy set before him was knowing that one day, thousands of years later, there would still be people who would turn to him in repentance and accept the grace and mercy that he poured out on the cross. Because Lent is a season meant to prepare us and help us refocus on Christ, an alternative to omitting something from your life is to add something to your life that helps you grow in faith and obedience during the 40 days. In other words, give up something that's not necessarily building you up in your faith and replace it with something that will. And that's up to you. If that's food, then give it up. Now, hear me out. I understand that there are health conditions, there are dietary restrictions. Do not walk out of here and say, Pastor Stacy said I shouldn't eat for the next, that's not what I'm saying. But if you have found that in stressful moments, instead of turning to the word and instead of turning to prayer, you turn to the fridge. And I'm not pointing any fingers unless it's pointing back to myself at times. So, okay, so give that up. When I'm stressed, when I'm scared, when I'm worried, I'm not going to go in the kitchen. I'm going to sit down with my Bible. I'm going to kneel down right where I'm at. And I'm going to confess to the Lord that I need him. If it's TV, then turn it off. If it's social media, delete the apps from your phone. Don't just not open them. Delete them from your phone so it's not a temptation. Whatever it is that is keeping you from spending intentional time with your creator and your savior, then at least for the next couple of weeks, get rid of it. Is it really a sacrifice anyway? I mean, those are just privileges that we have. None of those things are crucial to our survival. We don't live in a culture that elevates self-denial, though. Most often we're told we deserve to indulge. Oh, you should do that. You deserve it. You've worked hard. 
oh, you should take that day. You deserve it. And, and you know what? It's easy to fall into that. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we're exhausted and we need the day that we do nothing. But we don't need those things to be happy because it just puts ourselves first. And that completely goes against everything that Jesus speaks about and tells us to do. Remember, some of us might anyway, the very first McDonald's television ad campaign was centered on this slogan. Do any of you remember it? You deserve a break today. <laughs> Lent reminds us that as believers, we're told specifically to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus, just as Jesus did while he walked as a human. Repentance doesn't give us a free pass on the break that we deserve for trying to walk in obedience. And Lent reminds us that suffering, self-sacrifice, and costly obedience are on the pathway to glory. No, we don't have to self-martyr in the name of Christ, but we do need to keep our lives focused on the reality of faithful obedience and true discipleship, becoming like him more and more. I remembered something else in my preparation this week. I remembered a book that I had listened to last year. Yeah, I listen to books because I'm really busy and I don't have the time to sit down and like really read, read a book. And so I listened to this one. And also because I think it's pretty amazing when an author is the one recording the audio of the book because you hear, you hear in their own tone, you hear in their own voice what, what they were probably feeling as they were writing those words. And so this particular book, I just really enjoyed and it caught my attention. And the book is called Remember God by Annie F. Downs. And in part of the description of the book on her website, Annie writes this. In the back of my mind, God reminds me that he is the same trustworthy God, the one who always finishes the stories he starts. And this is my story of wrestling with our God who gives a limp and a blessing. A God who is always kind, even when my circumstances feel the opposite. God is who he says he is. He is kinder than you imagine. In a world where it's easy to forget who he is, we will not. We will remember God. Repentance. The definition that came up whenever I typed the word into my browser is this. The action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. Each person who turns to God in genuine repentance and faith will be saved. That's the definition that comes up when you type the word into Google. The action of repenting. Each person who turns to God in genuine repentance and faith will be saved. This season really is something special to me. I hope that you'll be able to find some time to do your own reflection and even repenting if necessary. I also hope that you'd take a moment to rate or review this podcast and to subscribe to it. And it would mean so much to me if you would share it with those that you know you think might enjoy it as well. 
whether you send it in a link, in a message, or you share it on social media. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.